Welcome back to On Connection. Today, we are talking all about employee engagement. Gallup recently released some research they did on this topic, and specifically in the United States, they found that employee engagement is showing a steady downward trend over the last few years. Now, why care about employee engagement, you might ask? Well, Gallup says that over their five decades of research, they know that, quote, engaged employees produce better business outcomes than other employees across industry, company size, and nationality, and in good economic times and bad, end quote. According to the data they collected over the course of 2022, only 32% of employees in the U.S. fall into the engaged category, down from 36% in 2020, with 18% actively disengaged. Now, you can make of that what you will based on what you think the value of engaged employees is, but if you agree with Gallup's point of view that it's a good and maybe even critical thing for business success, then this is worth being curious about. The Oxford definition of engage as a verb has two variations, both relevant to this conversation, I think. One, to occupy, attract, or involve someone's interest or attention. And two, to participate or become involved in. What's interesting to me about that is engagement is active on both sides of a relationship. On the part of someone attracting or involving interest or attention, and on the part of the person that's involved. So, I can be engaged in or with something, and something or someone can engage me. There's something sort of poetic about this in that it reflects the responsibility there is on both sides of the employee engagement equation. Yes, as an employee, there are things I can do to care for my engagement at and with my work. And my employer is best served by also caring for what's engaging within that work. What I like about thinking of engagement in that way is it doesn't oversimplify things to the point it's one side's fault or the other. Engagement is, indeed, a conversation, one to care for over time and through dynamic circumstances, and likely is best served if both the employee and the employer are demonstrating that care. Gallup defines employee engagement as the involvement and enthusiasm of employees in their work and workplace. So the way we talk about it in the organizational world is as a noun. Employee engagement is a thing, a metric, and maybe an experience. The more we talk about it like that, the more it sort of mystifies it. It's like this intangible thing that has to do with human emotion and energy and behavior And in trying to measure it, we may have inadvertently dehumanized it, as you'll hear Robin brings up in this episode, actually. When we relate to it like that, it's hard to find anything to do about it. Gallup does include in their research, again, I've linked that in the show notes, what they look at as factors contributing to employee engagement, and they include opportunities to learn and grow, their opinions and perspectives counting for something, feeling cared about at work, having someone who encourages their development, clarity of expectations, and connection to the mission or purpose of the company. This is a short list, but some of the factors they're seeing have been most negatively impacted over the last few years. 
It's fascinating to us, us being Robin, Mickey, and myself, (laughs) that these are not new concepts. It isn't rocket science thinking about what may or may not contribute to someone feeling engaged at work. Just think about yourself for a second. As an employee, past, present, future, what would most care for your engagement? Can you think of times that you've felt particularly involved, attracted to, and energized by your work? What do you think contributed to your feeling that way? Was it the work itself? The culture of the work? A leader? A coworker? A team dynamic? What might you have been doing that helped you feel that way? As leaders and as people, it's so easy to think of this as their problem. Cue air quote voice. (laughs) Um, Something that really can't and shouldn't be your responsibility. But as an employee, it's very common to blame this experience on leadership or the system or my manager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing will change, though, and may very well continue to worsen if all involved parties keep volleying the responsibility ball to the other side. In this episode, Robin, Mickey, and myself talk about what we see in this downward trend and what opportunities there are for inspiring greater employee engagement for the future. Hello, hello. Welcome back to On Connection. Uh, Today we have Mickey and Robin with us once again. Hello. Good morning. It is morning time for all of us, right? It is still morning. Yes, it is. Is it sunny where you are, Robin, today? It's sunny here today. Cold and sunny, which is good because I have told a number of you my backyard is a mud pit right now. So we're glad to have a little bit of sunshine. She also has two very enthusiastic dogs, everyone that's listening. So that's why the mud pit is of consequence. <laughs> problematic. And here we're still dealing with heavy snow in Colorado. Enough about the weather. What else are we talking about today? Right. Okay. Um, well, you know, sometimes it's just the necessary thing, right? Everybody's familiar with that's how you start your meetings in the downtime right before you get to the agenda. So, how's the weather there? All oh, this weather we've been having. Watched, you know. <laughs> Which, you know, I think it's it's funny because it technically is small talk, but it is it does impact your mood and everything. It impacts your life. So, I don't think it's irrelevant. But anyway, that's we're not actually here to talk about. Oh, wait, what were you going to say, Robin? I actually do think it's going to feed into today's conversation about what has us feel engaged and connected when we're together. Interesting. Okay. See this. See, it was intentional. Get out of here. So we were deciding what to talk about today and Gallup just released some new research that they did. Um, oh gosh, two days ago. So we're in late January and uh, the data is all about employee engagement in the United States. And as it turns out, the numbers are showing that engagement has steadily declined since 2020, uh, including a pretty steep decrease in 2022. Uh, So now their numbers are, there's 32% of engaged employees in 2022 out of their research. Uh, And how many did we say actively disengaged? 18% actively disengaged. And 
the some of the elements that we thought were interesting that they were studying as part of what contributes to engagement are clarity of expectations, connection to the purpose of the company, um, opportunities to learn and grow and to do what employees do best and feeling cared about at work. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, these are not new concepts. This is not, we did not even invent these concepts. These are things that have been studied and recommended for leaders to care about for a while now. So why are we not getting any better at it? That's what we wanted to talk about today. So I don't know what strikes you both as we start talking about that. What maybe curiosities or or insights do you already have about why it is that we know what to do better, but we're not doing it? Well, I think that there's a six-point decline over the last two years in the percentage of people who are extremely satisfied at work. That's a big deal. And given what you just said about when you talk about clarity of expectations and connection to purpose and the opportunity to do what we do best and experience and being cared about at work, that those are not shocking new ideas that have people listening, reeling in their seats, <laughs> having never thought those thoughts before. Um, what it actually reminds me of, MROs, was, I don't know, was it a year or two ago on Saturday Night Live when they did this skit on Dr. We Notice? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, we know this. Yes. Okay. How come we don't do this? <laughs> right. And I think that's the question. We know these things are crucial, and yet they don't appear to be chronically cared for by organizational leadership in a way that has engagement be ascending. So we have the same sources of disengagement that we've known about for a while. And yet disengagement is in decline. I mean, engagement is in decline. So how do we explain that and explain it in a way somebody can do something about it? That feels like a worthwhile discussion. Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, I just want to actually add something from the research to care for an impotent explanation. If you're familiar with us, you know what that is. But Robin, do you want to talk about what an implement? An impotent explanation is, and then I want to just share one thing out of the data to care for that now so that that's not what people are carrying with them throughout this conversation. Well, with any set of facts, we you can explain a set of facts in a variety of ways. And we say that an impotent explanation is one where you explain the facts in a way that actually limits the possibility of new action. So it may not be that the explanation is invalid. It's just not very helpful or useful to identifying what might we do about it. Uh, really easy example. In 2008, when the uh, economic downturn happened then, everybody would say, well, it's the economy. And it would stop the conversations from progressing because everybody would go, oh, right, it's the economy. Wah, wah, what are we going to do about that? Right. Nothing for us to do. So that's what we mean by an impotent explanation is something that stops people's ability to be creative and interested in finding new solutions. You know, you have one. I find when the conversation sort of comes to a grinding halt or starts to devolve into gossip and complaint. Mm. 
Well, so the one that I'm wondering if people might immediately jump to when hearing about the decline in engagement since 2020 is that remote work or hybrid work might be to blame for this lack of engagement. And as it turns out from the Gallup research, they showed that regardless of work location, so across hybrid, fully remote and on-site workers, engagement has declined. So this trend is true regardless of that. Now, on an individual basis, could it contribute to your engagement at work? Sure. That's so like Robin's saying, it's not that it's not valid in, in some way or worth looking into, but I have a feeling it does tend to stop the conversation about engagement right now. There's an impotent explanation associated with this topic that I heard this week. Uh, I was on a call with a executive team of one of our clients, a very new relationship. And the chief people officer was raising some of these related issues. And another member of that C-level executive team stepped in and said, well, if these are trends all over the world, they don't have anything to do with our organization. There's nothing wrong here. <laughs> it's just the same thing everybody's facing. And I watched the chief people officer because we're in Zoom manage her response <laughs> to that moment. Well, what she said that I thought was really great after I could see her taking a breath and not losing her temper, she said, all right, that means there's an opportunity for us to be leaders instead of just putting up with being no better than everybody else. And that that was a good moment. <laughs> so she shifted it from the impotent explanation, hey, this is true for everybody, so it's it's not our fault. Why are we worried about it? To this is a chance for us to lead and not just be like everybody else. That's a shift from an impotent to an intriguing explanation. You know, one of the things that's been on my mind for a while on this topic of, here's my air quote voice, employee engagement, um, is I'm almost wondering if in so many organizations we talk about it in such a dehumanizing way that it doesn't actually give us access to what are the humans that we're putting in places together need to do about it, right? So like when you talk about employee engagement, it just, and I know we are consultants, but it just sounds like such consultant speak and such like corporate speak. But when you think about MROs, the factors that you listed off, to me, what we're talking about is mutual care. Is there, a, is there a relationship of mutual care between employee and employer, both at a person to person level and at a person to organization level? And if we put started talking about it, like what is the purpose of employee engagement? Why should we care about it? It really is, are we caring for the people that are here to do our work? And are we giving them the tools and the resources to be at their best in doing that work? And do they care about the work that they're doing in a way that provides the level of service and experience that cares for the business and our customers or clients, or if, if you're in a nonprofit for whatever the cause is that you're there to care for? And so, you know, in the vein of language matters, I just wonder if the way we are even talking about it in organizations isn't giving people access 
to the individual responsibility of leaders inside of this to create that con the conditions of mutual care. Yeah, there's a distinction in the law called duty of care. It actually only tends to come up when someone wants to sue someone else for negligence. <laughs> it's because they say you violated your duty of care. But I think there is a, a principle there that if we as leaders are hosting an environment where we have the power to hire people, compensate people, reward people, punish people, What's our duty of care if we are hoping for the wholehearted participation of those people in whatever we're up to? I so I the way you just said it, Robin, you said responsibility, and that's what really triggered that for me. Like there's an honorable duty here to care about what people care about. All right. So the things that we know that people care about, that we heard MROs when you were sharing this recent report with us, people care about knowing what's expected of them. They care about that. Otherwise, they're living confused, dislocated, barraged with things that they can't tell whether or not their mind to take care of. And we know that people care about doing meaningful work. So that connection to purpose matters. And people care about having a chance to do what they do best and being respected for what they're contributing. So we've got all that going on. What has people actually be experiencing being cared for in those domains? Because I think you raised the right issue, Robin. Caring for those things reliably over time that would have an organization be leaders not in the mediocre middle of everybody else who's coping with the same engagement problems. I, I just say, well, okay, what has that air become chronic <laughs> in those areas of clarity of expectations, connection to purpose, and the opportunity to do what I do best and be respected for that? Well, we were talking earlier. Um... Guy Connolly, our glorious producer, and I spent uh, a big chunk of time with a client this week. And in the middle of that, uh, we give that client an experience where they go and play a game together and see, like, what does that have to do with collaboration? Given that we've been spending a day and a half, now we're going to ask you to put it into practice in this game and then see what you see about that. And one of the participants said it was really interesting about how they got into the game and forgot about all the things we just spent literally spent a day and a half talking about and they were laughing at themselves about that but we use that phrase routinely for the remainder of our time together about how often as leaders are we quote unquote into the game of whatever is happening in the moment and actually not being intentional about paying attention to the things that we know will make a bit the biggest difference. We get caught up in the results or the outcomes or our egos and how we look or the internal politics and what's happening there, right? Or, 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 or like the list goes on and on and on about the things that we get caught up in and lose sight of what 
as leaders are we most accountable for in terms of making sure that the results happen in an organization? I think think most accountable for ensuring connection to culture and strategy as a means to results, right? So, so culture from and strategy to me are that purpose, right? And setting that clarity of purpose of like, why are we here? What are we here to do? How, how do we behave when we're together? And I think leaders lose sight of that for the game that they're playing, whatever that might be. Well, then it sounds like one of the crucial ingredients to closing the, we know this, we do this gap (laughs) is how do you maintain your connection to the purpose? So let's say we've got a purpose for people to be connected to the mission. You know, I, I have a purpose for people to feel connected to our purpose. How does that stay alive? Well, in organizational life, one of the ways that that stays conscious for people is if it becomes a part of everyday decision-making. So the example for that that occurs to me is, y'all know that a client that we really admire is Humana. And from the time Bruce Broussard came in as the CEO, he took the purpose that was being committed to at that time, which is to help people achieve lifelong well-being and made it real in how they made decisions. So helping people achieve lifelong well-being is not only noble, it's commercially smart. If you're an insurance company and you help people live a greater percentage of their lives well, (laughs) you know, it's great for people, it's great for the performance of the business is just humane and commercially smart. And what I watched Bruce do is over and over again, in the midst of any decision that he was called into as the CEO, anything he was a part of is asking the question, how does this impact helping people achieve lifelong well-being? And once it became something you had to account for in any major decision, that became reliable in the thinking. So one of the things that we have to look at is what's the natural way in our organization that an intention stays alive, you know, that it endures. And I think one of the ways is it is in play for the frequent kinds of decisions that an organization makes. That's the thing. I think that was what was striking me too, Robin, when you were talking is that this word of connection to mission and purpose is not a moment in time where a leader says something, talks at people, and then expects that they're going to be connected. Well, <laughs> there's, there's a banner and hangs it in the office or sends you a thing to put in your home office, right? Like, it's right. Not the, it's not the word. Yeah, it's posters not. are not the source of okay. ongoing connection. No. Now, the poster or the gift or whatever could be a symbol of something sure. that you've already done with that with that group of people, like a reminder. But it has to be something that's connecting. It's an active connection to something that they've already experienced about their relationship right. to the purpose. But one of the things that 
is hitting me is the importance of HR and people teams in that effort. You know, I don't, I still am endlessly curious about the evolution of the HR world in organizations, you know, over the last 30 years, say, and that there's so much more to care for beyond compliance and um, administrative day-to-day things about employment and it's it's so much more complex, you know, and we make the distinction between complicated and complex things. You can listen to a different episode about that. I'll link it. But there is so much complexity and the care longer thing that our friend Joe DeFilippo taught us um, is so important there. And I think it's important to all of those metrics that they list here and that it's a constant attention and commitment to the people that are in your organization. One of the other things that's interesting about Gallup is that they, on top of having all that study, they also have an exceptional workplace award that they give out. And they that's mostly dependent on things related to employee engagement. So the average for those winners engagement is 70%, even during highly disruptive times. And um, what they're saying, let's see. So the winners weave employee engagement, which they're defining as an employee's involvement in and enthusiasm for their work and workplace throughout each stage of the employee life cycle, from attracting potential talent to providing a positive exit experience for departing employees and every stage in between these organizations embed engagement in their very culture. Um, so there's like a list of people and I'll I'll be linking all this stuff too in case people want to explore it. But one of the, there's interesting companies in here. One of the companies is Verizon um, and they've been on the list for a while, but they say that um, they had, they partnered with Gallup to work towards their employee North Star in starting in 2020, which was to empower individuals working together with personal accountability to drive collective impact towards a shared mission and purpose. Their engagement strategy is fueled by quarterly pulse surveys, a vast champions and HR team support network, organization-wide commitment to action planning, and a growing movement to drive strengths-based development. So my point in sharing all that is that I, th- I think we were talking when we were preparing is that some of those metrics can feel quite intangible or not very practical. Like, how do I make an employee feel like they're more cared for? Well, okay, we do feel like there's some pretty practical answers to that, which... <laughs> Uh, again, go listen to the rest of the episodes of the podcast. But um, but that's very tangible in terms of strategy, like making it an embedded part of your strategy. Well, I think if we look at those three things again, becoming great in an enduring way, clarity of expectations, connection to purpose, and giving people the opportunity to do what they do best. Let's just look at those three things whether it's Verizon or Humana or whoever else that we are respecting in this area, they are somehow caring for that over time in their policies and who gets recognized and rewarded and how uh, performance is managed in the everyday experiences of organizational life. And I think if you took those three things And you said, how do we stay consciously, continuously connected to this 
as an aspect of our employees' experience of our organization. If those questions, how do we assure clarity of expectations? I mean, that one in itself, I mean, the two of you know that in all the work over 30 years we did on trust, we discovered that the absolute number one source of trust breakdowns in organizational life is conflicting expectations. <laughs> that it starts when I think I have a right to expect that you're going to do ABC, and we've never had that conversation, and we actually don't have mutual <laughs> clear expectations. And then you don't do ABC, and so I start thinking that you are a person of dastardly character. It, so this clarity of expectations, every time we make sure our expectations of one another are aligned and clear, we are creating trust. And every moment we don't, all right, well, is that done once? Emrose, like you were saying a few minutes ago, no, our organizations are dynamic. What's the routine in which we stop, take a breath and say, are our expectations evolving? What's how does that become a normal part of work? So that's one. Then the connection to purpose, the example of it becoming normal is what I just said about Bruce at Humana, that it's a part of decision-making, which every organization is making decisions all the time. So that would be a way to keep that chronic. And then the opportunity to do what they do best. I love Marcus Buckingham says one of the most powerful questions you could ask talking to your people in very short check-ins is how do you feel we're doing and taking advantage of your skills <laughs> and your aspirations? What if that just became a part of every executive's check-in with their people on a bi-weekly or monthly basis? So keeping these things alive to me is the issue. And how do we do that? So what, what are you, Either of you see about that. What are the other things that help us keep these things as a living experience rather than a sporadic one with vast disappointment between the sporadic moments? <laughs> well, I don't, not to hammer a point, but I'm going to anyway, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody that knows me is now laughing because they know this is my normal mode. But I go back to impotent explanations, Mick. Like uh, in all of those places, I could actually hear leaders in my head that I've actually been in real conversations with in the last two weeks have a yeah, but to almost everything you just said that they <laughs> get stuck in around why they can't do that or why that's a problem or why there's an issue there. So like on expectations, I hear everything from, well, they should know to I've been clear and my thing lately is you don't get to say if you're clear, right? The, you only get to the, the others get to say, or how to like, what's the line between that and micromanagement, right? So like there's, you sort of hear all of this and that for me, you know, expectations, number one, Mickey, you said it, are evolving and we need to keep checking in and that they are a conversation. It's not a, here's my expectation of you now go march to those orders. It's what's the conversation we're in about. Sometimes I say an expectation, I say it out loud to myself. I'm like, oh, that's nutty bonkers. Like, no, that, that expectation actually makes no sense. Like I get that I'm walking around with it, but I, that's actually not a legitimate expectation for me to have of these people. Like I should 
check that for myself. And sometimes I say it out loud and the other person's like, that's all you expect, really? Like maybe there's some, maybe there's another, maybe there's something else in that. But back to the, like, it's got to be a, a conversation. And so I think that people really have to examine for themselves in the places where we are saying things that you're like, yeah, of course. What's your yeah, but? Because maybe that's the place that we are not confronting is the yeah, but that gets in my way that I have let habituate my actions and actually direct it away from what my initial intention was. Mm. Well, this thing thing about expectations itself, we could do a whole episode, I think, just on that. I I think we have. Didn't we do one? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we could do another one. <laughs> um, but it constantly, I, I remember that, I've already told them that I don't need to say it again. Everybody knows what that is. Right. Or we have the regular meeting, right. We have a method that's already set. Have we examined those methods? Are we really looking to see what else needs to be done? Have circumstances changed? How has it gotten sort of rote and old and no, it's actually not penetrating people's thinking and listening and action any longer. Right. So again, I think in, in all of the domains, the, the, um, the one about, should we ask people, are they making the difference? The, yeah, but I heard in my head, as soon as you said that Mick is, yeah, but what if they say no and they want to do something I can't let them do or that there's no budget for or isn't in their job description? Now what do I do? Right. Like, uh, so that's what I'm saying. Like for all of these, I think maybe people aren't confronting the thing that's keeping them stuck often enough. They know well enough, but they get stuck with their like, but that won't work for me. That's not my problem. That's not the issue here. Well, given that we've got these chronic habits and mindsets that give rise to that kind of behavior, Robin, um, one of the most important things, if you really want to cause an inflection point in wholehearted engagement in whatever our organization does, is to be able to stop and take a breath and reflect on some of the questions that Robin's pointing to. Like, what if anybody who's listening to this, if you said the people who I've got some sort of leadership influence over, whether direct reports or people that look to you as a source of power in their lives, what if you stopped and said, for everyone, let me do a little expectation audit for myself. What am I expecting that each of these people will provide? I don't know what would come up. It'd be really interesting. And then have to look at, are we aligned about those expectations? I remember in the communication catalyst, we quoted Anne Lamott, who said something pretty close to this. Unsaid expectations are resentments under construction. (laughs) And I, I just think that's powerfully true. And then you start to look at all the expectations. And I think, Robin, you run into what you said as you look at that and go, wait a minute. (laughs) You know, like we also have in the communication catalyst, we have this list of expectations people have of each other that cracks me up. That, you know, one of them is expectations in a relationship that aren't said. Like I expect that you to figure out all the things that would make me happy and provide those without me having to ask. (laughs) But if you do an expectation audit, you run into some of these irrational things that, well, I expect if we did took that one thing on where there was some routine where we were doing a little expectation audit, 
checking in to make sure that we have mutual expectations of one another, even somebody in a position of power in a company having the humility to say, what do you expect of me? What do you need from me that this week, a CEO that we've done work with for a few years started talking to his dozen direct reports, asking two questions. And one of them is, what do you need from me? Do you think the company needs from me that would require me to change in any way? And I thought that was good. (laughs) But that's an example of taking expectations from being some clinical word and turning it into an occasion for conversation where we come together about what is it we're giving to one another that has us be great together. So even just taking that one on, but then yeah, the other two are just as important. Like how do we keep purpose alive? So it's in the everyday experience have about people have about how we work and why we do what we do. And how do we keep alive the awareness of people's skills and desires to contribute and how we connect that to the work that needs to be done. So I just think keeping those things alive is crucial in here. Robin, you said something earlier. I'm wondering how you think about this. So this keeping things chronically alive, that's one thing. The other thing you you talked about, not while we were recording, but you said that sometimes people keep the wrong thing alive. Like instead of purpose staying chronically conscious, some preferred method or process stays conscious and we don't keep it connected to purpose. So I don't remember exactly what you said, but you want to weigh in on that? Well, we're saying stay con- stay true to purpose. I think some people stay true to method. <laughs> right? So they get a method in mind and they stay true to that and think that that's the constancy or the stability that the organization needs. And by the way, it may be. Right. Like there are places where like that sort of uh, uh, sometimes we talk about is rituals, routines, like sometimes that routine is exactly what the organization needs. But sometimes those routines uh, suddenly something shifts in the circumstances where that routine is actually no longer serving the purpose. It's just become the thing on the calendar that we do. Uh, One, a leader that um, I adore um, and has taught me a lot in the in a coaching relationship used to say that at the start of every year he did a zero sum calendar where he cleared his calendar of every meeting that he had that was standing and re-examined what's the purpose of this meeting why am i having it why are we running this is it actually serving what we intended because he said and i agree with this like routine meetings become the bane of most organizations where like they just live on in perpetuity with no one questioning them and i think meetings um other elements of our strategy that are method based we tend to sort of lock in on and we don't make adjustments fast enough given changes in circumstances which also might be changes in our level of connection or commitment to that particular method so i like that one so we said for expectation you could do an expectation audit for this issue of staying connected to purpose, we could have a purpose hygiene routine <laughs> you know, where we keep having to look at the calendar and really explore what's the intention behind this and is it connected to what's most important for our enterprise or organization. So I really like that because that's another occasion for action. That's something somebody can actually do. You know, Mick, I think the other thing in this 
pur- in the domain of purpose, when we think about engagement, what purpose is engagement serving? Which I I think we all have a pat routine. I think we have we have a deep connection to that idea. But I'm wondering in organizational life at large, is it for other leaders, does it just feel like another number that they're having to manage to? And are they actually getting the connection between the importance of their staff, their employees feeling cared for and connected, and the impact that that has on what they're trying to accomplish together? Like, are they holding it as like, it's this other thing off to the side that I now also have to worry about and manage? And and they're missing that why does that matter to me? Why does that matter to the business? Why does that matter to what we have at hand? So is there a detachment for some folks between the this engagement survey thing that's been foist on me by HR or someone else in the organization that I now have to manage and a disconnect between what's the difference that that actually makes in my day-to-day life? Because what we're, all the things we're asking are additional things for leaders to have to do. And in the whole vein of like, everybody feels overwhelmed, leaders fall into that as well, who feel like, oh my gosh, don't give me one more thing that I have to do. And now you're going to give me these engagement scores and I've got to make sense of them and come up with action plans. I've seen lots of these lately. Action plans and things I have to do and task forces. And um, I just wonder about, have they lost the connection to why Why do I care about it? Does it matter? Does it make a difference for me personally and for what we for the work we're trying to do together? I have one comment about that. And then I want to turn it into a question for Emma Rose. Uh my comment is for, for any of us who have the chance to be of counsel to people in very senior leadership positions, I think a good test for any recommendation you make is how does it take time, money, and stress out of their life? Because if you can't meet that test because of the busyness in these senior leadership positions, it's not going to happen. So I think We've got to be good at that, showing how there is a return on attention here, that it's not just additional work. Emrose, the reason I want to turn to you is Robin just raised a powerful question. Does engagement matter? And if so, why? Mm-hmm. From your perspective, I mean, you've worked in some different places before you came here. You're here now. Your CEO's here, so you could mm-hmm. give her some counsel <laughs> if you want to, but I'm just wondering what makes this something other than HR clinical discussion? How come this topic matters? Well, I guess the, uh, the, one of the things I've been thinking while y'all have been talking about this is it's, I can also hear some of those leaders going, Engagement is their problem, not mine. (laughs) Like they should choose to be engaged and it shouldn't be something I have to think about, (laughs) which I get, you know, I'm also thinking, I was thinking too the resentment thing that I wonder if the reason this is trending the way it is, is because there keeps being a bigger and bigger relationship of resentment or unmet expectation 
between leaders and employees, between the employer and the employees. And that part of that is because of this, well, why is it my responsibility <laughs> or the lack of clarity on what the purpose is? Um, I, I do think it matters, but I think, Robin, you bring up an important point that we sort of have a biased relationship to that. Like, I believe that human beings should feel like they're contributing in a meaningful way at work and feel energized by work and feel like it's a source of connection to other human beings and a source of connection to something more important than just their lives, you know, contributing to something larger. Um, but there are not, that's not true for everybody. Not everybody believes that that is an important aspect of work or something that should be fulfilled. I, I think that it's one of the reasons why, you know, in the research, it also showed that younger employees, so 35 and under have shown a larger drop in engagement than older generations. And I think it's because they value these things more. So they value being cared about at work. They value being seen as a human being. They value feeling purposeful at work. Um, and, you know, even in a time of mass layoffs and um, a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people in terms of their employment, I still think that in this day and age, people kind of know that they can go figure something out. Like there's always an opportunity somewhere for them to find purposeful work. So this is a risk long-term to people even having people that want to contribute to your purpose at all. So whether or not you care about that human being feeling fulfilled or connected to their work, they're not going to want to do the work. So if you need people that want to do the work or that people that will do the work reliably. That's it. I won't even say the want to. If you just want employees that will do the work reliably, I do believe you need to care about these things. Rose, what's really funny is you were talking, you said, you know, younger generation, 35 and under sort of values it more. Where, where I went to is, I think the rest of us are just cynical about the reality of like, yeah, wanted it when I was younger and didn't get it. And like, that's just not going to happen. Totally. So I, think yeah. I think there's a lot of cynicism of people who have been in the workforce for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I was talking to a 20 something the other day about their skepticism, cynicism, and like idealism. And I sort of said something that our dear colleague, Jim Matroni likes to say is like, that's all well and good that you don't want to be part of the capitalist machine. But when you go mm -hmm. to the grocery store, like your ideals are not actually going to pay for the peanut butter that you want to put in your grocery. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where, I mean, there is a, you have to figure out what's the intersection of what I have to give and what something, what the world needs. Right. And so that is your responsibility as an individual to engage with that tension and that question for sure. Um, there are realities of life that we all have to face, which are, <laughs> is why we're employed. Cause you know, I was, I was reading something else. Uh, it, it's part of, a. I ended up including it in the introduction to another episode we released a little bit ago about designing your time. And it was about citizenship behavior. So MIT Sloan did this study about people who go kind of above and beyond their role 
in terms of their behavior and how that can catch on and eventually become extreme citizenship behavior that is a cultural trend that can be damaging to well-being um, and people's sense of connection to the culture overall over time. And they were just talking about how there's intrinsic and extrinsic motivators across that group that was studied. So there is a huge section of people that just feel pressured to behave in that way. So to contribute to work at the expense of your personal life. Um, But there's also people who just love their work so much that they just want to do it, which that's great. I still think that that is a minority of people in the world and we can't all aspire to having that. We can't have that be our standard. Like we've talked about joy at work does not mean I am happy all the time and satisfied in every moment with what I'm doing. And engagement is similar. I think that's why engagement as a metric, I'm happy to see how Gallup is qualifying that with all these different variables because it's not just, am I happy in every moment at work? It's way, way more complex than that. Um, But being engaged might mean not being excited all the time. So I do Uh, think- This this thing about- I want to go back to something you said a moment ago. I think could be so powerful. This is another potential occasion for action, Emrose. Mm-hmm. That if any leader listening to this would say, I'm going to go talk to my direct reports. I'm going to ask each one of them, what would you love to give that you think this organization needs to get? Which is you know, what you just said a moment ago, that we have a responsibility for looking at what's the intersection between what I'd love to give and what others need to get. Well, what if a leader was asking that question? That fits with that third aspect of the engagement decline, which is people not experiencing that they're using their gifts. All right. That's a, you just, to me, stimulate a brilliant question, which is somebody Asking the people who report to them, what would you love to give that you think this organization needs to get? And then be there in a genuinely curious conversation, consistent with our last podcast episode on curiosity. Well, that's the thing, because I think the older I get, the more I, I understand the perspective of even asking that question as a leader or a manager is a little scary because I'm worried about what they're going to say. But I think that the conversational nature of that is the most important part. So they might say something that is a little outlandish or from their perspective is what they want to give, but might not actually be what the organization needs or can give them an opportunity for at that time because there's reality that needs to be met. But you could ask them, what's important to you about that? Like, why does that matter to you? And then you could be connected to whatever it is that's important for them in that that example of their contribution. And then you can be on the lookout for places where there might be a fit for that. Or, you know, because I do think that there's a, a coaching opportunity for that person's growth you know, and and you as the leader who sees more of the system and more of the system of opportunity, you're responsible for figuring out, coaching them into seeing where it fits, you know? And, and so it doesn't have to be a, I go have the conversation, they tell me something I can't give them. And then now we've broken something 
or now I'm disappointing, you know? I think you're pointing to another impotent explanation there. So that for sure, really but good. yes, that somebody <laughs> that somebody would go. I'm not going to ask that because they could say something I can't do anything about. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, I'll give you another explanation for that, which is a longing that's been in the backgrounds now in the foreground. Right. They're longing for it anyway, and if you're not aware of that, that diminishes a chance you've got to be a better leader for that human being. Right, because on the other, they're sort of walking around with it in the background anyway. So my personal experience with some version of this question here lately, it's not exactly this question, but some version of this um, has been, people have just enjoyed the conversation, right? Emma Rose, you and I have been in one, Mickey, you and I have been in one, right? Around like, well, what is it that I want to give this year? And, and there have been some in where I've had to say, like, I'm not sure this is the year for that. Like, my, that might be next year. Great. Like, that's okay. That's an, oh, like, at least we're having a dialogue or a discussion about what that's going to look like. And across the board, everyone has thanked me for those conversations. Like, they've been, they've liked being in it. They've liked being asked. They've liked, to, you know, that I, we were in, I was interested. We were interested in what their point of view was, whether we were able to hundred percent fulfill on it or not. I don't, I don't think any of us actually expect somebody else in any domain of our life to hundred percent fulfill on all of our expectations all of the time. I don't, I just don't, <laughs> I, I don't have that in any other relationship in my life anywhere. Uh, so I don't imagine that we have it with our employees, employers either, but putting it on the table gives us a place to actually examine it and see like, what is that? What's possible together? Right. Well, I think we're probably in wrap up mode. Yes, we are. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. This has been a good conversation. It's stimulating because there is a, it's a relationship, right? There's something to be conscious of on the employee side. There's something to be conscious of on the leadership side. There's compassion to be had all around because all of our lives are so hard and the weather is treacherous and it's contributing to our ability to be engaged and excited about work. <laughs> All the time. All, all the way back to where we started. Today. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'll, I will link all of this, uh, you know, research in the show notes. So please do feel free to explore that further if you're interested. Uh, and we'll continue to live in this question of how we can encourage people to care about engagement and what the purpose might be of caring about engagement in your system. What insight or lesson learning are you walking away with from this conversation you two well the thing i'm being a lot more awake to than i was two hours ago <laughs> is that there's a question for any of us as leaders about how does what i know to be important become something that I'm actually doing in a reliable way. Uh, you know, I was kidding about the, we notice, yeah, but do we do this? <laughs> that this particular area of just taking these three aspects of engagement and decline, clarity of expectations, connection to purpose, opportunity to do what I do best. If I, if I'm now leaving here, and I just looking at what do I, know about that that i'm not being true to i'm not actually doing I, I just think it's a powerful question and we'd see things i will see things otherwise wouldn't see because you've given me a different question to live the rest of the weekend <laughs> that i had 
Well, and I, for me, I think it's the reminder about, am I being, what am I being intentional about? Right. So it really not getting sucked into the, in the moment of the game, or am I actually being intentional about what I'm trying to create in the organization? And am I clear about that with other leaders also? So thank you. Uh, for me, I think it's the, uh, just because other people aren't doing it any better, that doesn't mean that I don't have an opportunity to lead in that space. Uh, that's kind of a haunting concept, you know, so pretty good. All right. Well, nice to spend the morning with you two and, uh, we'll have all of you back very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. See y'all. This episode was produced by Guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Conversant's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com. On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until next time.